Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Our guest today is all-time great California Bear, Carly Lloyd. Carly is an Olympic bronze medalist, Italian League, Italian Cup, Champions League, and Sev Cup champion, as well as former AVCA Player of the Year. On this episode, Carly talks about her path into the volleyball world, as most of our episodes discuss. But a majority of this podcast is discussing how to bring out potential in your teammates, regardless of skill level. Our conversation leads into how a team buys into the process, how individually you buy into the process, how to build relationships, how sincerity and vulnerability come into play, and a lot more. Enjoy. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't know. But, I... But if I had to put money on one way or the other, I would say I'd put my life savings down that you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's going to depend, obviously, how things go, but. No, it's not. You're going to figure out a way. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. You're going to figure out a way. The lucky thing for you as well, obviously you have two really supportive families Mm -hmm. behind you. And you've had a lot of success in your career. So whoever takes you obviously knows this is what we can get out of Mm -hmm. her. And they're willing to give you stuff to come be a part of their club, which is amazing. So you can start making demands. I'm serious. Like, if you want to bring your mom or Riley's mom or whoever, it's like, okay, I need this and this. All right. So you, I mean, you could do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for sure I could, okay. I shouldn't say for sure. I think the, the concern is always around like how your body turn comes back from something like this, because for some women, it like just wrecks them, you know, I'm I'm not saying that I think that's me, but you just never know how the birth will go and how you'll feel afterwards and all that. So you could, oh. sorry, you could have a, an Alicia Glass pregnancy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, that was, that's everyone's greatest fear. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, you have a point, but I don't know. I don't really foresee that in your future of going through, even if it did. <laughs> you're one, I mean, the other thing. One, you're one tough broad, Carly. <laughs> the other thing, though, is a lot of women say you go through pregnancy and you have this baby and then your whole outlook on like life and your purpose and all that changes. So if I have this baby and I'm just like, Oh, I just want to be with this baby all the time. And I don't, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feel. It's true. I mean, I can't imagine not wanting to play just because I have a child. I can't really, but if it's, if that happens to people, then it could happen to me, I guess, you know? 
So I'm just trying to stay open to whatever. Oh, uh, that's what Mary Wise said. Because I, I was talking to her on this podcast and I said, what get, mm-hmm. what was the biggest thing that garnered perspective in your life? And she said, you got to have kids. Like once I had a kid, the whole way, my perception of coaching completely changed, basically. Whoa. Yeah. Because cool. we, were, we were talking about how it's really easy to kill a kid really mm-hmm. easy in college and it could be the wrong thing in a timeout it could be the wrong substitution like everything kind of at the wrong moment mm-hmm. and um so we were talking about that and kind of how you avoid those situations and the type of people that get into that situation you know it's usually because it's they're just selfish and they're stressed and stress always brings mm-hmm. out the worst in people and I said, how do you avoid that? She said, I have perspective, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And then I had kids and I recognize what you can do to a kid. Mm-hmm. Cause you can just, it's, and you see it abroad too, with a kid who's not even a kid, they're a woman or a man and you can just crush them. Yeah. You know, those people where they say, I never want to play again, or like, I'm, I'm done, I'm going to retire after this year. And it's just because I had a bad experience. Yeah, that's Riley. Yeah. Riley, ha- Riley has that story, yeah. Yeah, like it's just, it all it takes is one bad person to ruin it mm-hmm. for you. It could be a teammate too. Yeah, I think the, well, I've kind of experienced that too, a little bit. Yeah not overseas, but more on the national team in that environment. And it's hard because you don't want to like say that this person and the way that they do something makes me not want to go after my goal anymore in this environment, because like you're putting, then you're giving that person so much power over you. But at the same time, you like, you can't control everything around you. So if you're not, comfortable in it or like something doesn't feel right to you then you do remove yourself from a situation which like can crush a dream but it's but is is it I don't know it's like this balance between it's my dream but it's also going against like my the humanity in me like the values and like so it's tough but it is so true that it can be a person it can be a situation it can be a teammate I've had a teammate just kill me. Like he just killed me. And the worst part was, is it's you. The, the sad part is, is that we were really close. And then mm-hmm. he put volleyball over the friendship. Mm-hmm. Whereas had we, in my opinion, because I've had the same experience here, actually, where it was kind of on the fritz. And the guy just said, okay, let's just sit down. And this is, I'm going to tell you my piece and you can tell me your piece, you know, and it, we just worked it out and then it all went great. I was like, man, if we had just sat down, mm-hmm. talked it out, then it probably would have went way better. Yeah. Than one person just being the crucifier, you know, mm-hmm. that's usually how it goes. It, that's just, I think that's the sad part is when you put winning over everything else which is, i mean yeah. i get i know that people say that's just being competitive or whatever but mm-hmm. it's not basketball 
it's very different volleyball and basketball mm -hmm. or volleyball and football like there's not just that culture is not really I don't know that's just my opinion because mm -hmm. it takes I mean it takes a village in volleyball yeah well I don't I guess I don't know the culture and environment within a basketball team or a football team like I do a volleyball team right but I do think that just going based off what you said in the beginning about like your experience with this teammate so many things can be solved through vulnerability and having a conversation right but we don't do it like naturally all the time because of the what if factor of like what are they going to think if I you know if I tell them how I feel or and so it prevents us from talking things out we instead we like imagine what it what's what's happening in our own head for someone yeah. else you know instead of letting that person speak for themselves um so for, like whenever you were talking about that I just keep thinking when honest open conversation is encouraged in, the, in an environment which maybe in football and basketball those things happen more I don't know like you know maybe yeah. they're just like this is when it happens in a I don't know between teammates between coaches and team players like when I think that only creates good like yeah. it's it's making the environment more open and trusting and I don't know I agree I think I also think you should have one animal on every team <laughs> you should one guy that is completely fearless and will just go at anybody or one female that's mm -hmm. willing to start that conversation organically, mm -hmm. even if it's just, even if it's a fight, mm -hmm. it's just one person that's willing to take that brunt and be the team asshole. Mm -hmm. Like I will be that person for this team mm -hmm. <laughs> because we need it. Cause somebody has got to be the person that starts the fire. Yeah. But that can also go, I'm not saying that you have to be an asshole to be that person, but you got to mm -hmm. have one person that's willing to be confrontational when everything's shit. Yeah. Someone has to start it. Right. Yeah. That's really true. Actually you need, and I've been in teams on teams and in situations where there isn't that person. So it's really hard to like snowballs get things. <laughs> and, but it's funny because if I think like back to, my like the growth I've had over the last 20 years you know like when I was younger I feel like I had that naturally like what's like I was just I was a fighter in a way but like because I knew that it was going to get our team to be great like through college and all of that but you get into some environments where if you question where you are within a team or like is this my role I'm not yes. titled a captain those kinds of things they can keep players from just doing that naturally and like having it be super authentic. So, um, but if someone has that in them, like that desire to do it and it's coming from a good place, because if it's coming from a place of wanting the team to be better, that's not wrong then, you know, like the team needs mm -hmm. it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're not playing or if you're playing or whatever. It's just about like finding solutions for your team to get through tough crap. Yeah. So, like you were saying, it doesn't have to be an asshole, but it has to be someone that 
is like willing willing to be vulnerable and also like um i don't know coming from a good it has to be coming from a good place i think for sure can't be like yeah so i yeah. think a big part of it i don't know how it was for you in all these i mean different places that you played but also language like the language barrier can be really tough mm -hmm. because then you one you have to you have to say it the right way so that it comes across properly mm -hmm. and then you have to you have to spell it out so then what yeah. you're you know what you want to say is has to be really simple and get to the point Mm -hmm. whilst also holding the right emotional value behind it mm -hmm. which is really difficult in a heat of, like in the heat of the moment that is so hard yeah break that down you're like all right and it's exhausting sometimes you're like yeah. i've said it so many times and it's not getting across i just i can't somebody else take the reins here yeah well with a language barrier especially overseas when you have teammates that aren't speaking your same language and you're trying to like get them to understand something from you there's only so many ways you can say it like for that person to to get it like because you're saying it in simple English or you're trying to say it in the, the way that you can say it in their language or whatever no. but I mean the other solution to that is you write it out which I've totally done before like I've tried to I've tried to like talk to her on the court. I'm just going to send her a really like thorough text and then she can translate it and she can like, you know, I've done that before and that's worked for some. I've had like a specific teammate in mind. I remember doing that with and it totally like helped our relationship when we got back on the court. But yeah. it, you have to get like, first of all, you have so much patience, like you were saying, because communication is already hard with like you know your best friend it can be like you may i guess like, not my best friend but no but sometimes it is. sometimes you can let i've had that where i've let something i knew something was wrong and i just let it go mm -hmm. which you take you take that for granted with your closest friends like uh -huh. oh they're fine they get it mm -hmm. there's no need to talk about that and then it festers. I did that for a year. I let something sit for a year and I texted him randomly at like 2 a.m. I said, hey man, <laughs> I feel like something's wrong. And he sent me a two page text and said, yeah, you're right, something <laughs> is wrong. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but that was it. It was maybe 10 minutes, water under the bridge. Cause it's still, it ends up being, it's your best friend, so. yeah. They get it. They just want to hear. They just want to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Like anybody. Yeah. Well, that's what it was, just opening the doorway for it. Yeah. That's. And that's actually like a totally applicable thing in the volleyball world, too. If you feel yeah. like something's off with a teammate, instead of saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling, it's like, hey, do you have something you want to talk about? <laughs> is there something that you know like yeah that's i do that pretty yeah. often i got i i learned that from marv is he checks mm -hmm. in on everybody 
Okay. No, he's and his big thing is, are you getting better? Or are you getting worse? Mm-hmm. That's his just little thing to kind of get the yeah. ball going. So, but he checks in with everyone: the water boy, the scorekeeper. <laughs> hey, you getting better? Are you getting worse? <laughs> like, man, I'm just keeping score, you know. <laughs> Figured it out. Click yeah, this but for sure. Yeah, and but uh, he does it with everyone. So I started. I kind of try to do that with everyone just to see where everybody's at mm-hmm. and there's always one guy that's got something to say nobody's ever happy like yeah you, you can't have 12 people that are all super stoked mm-hmm. somebody's bummed with their role because there's no role clarity they were promised something they wasn't they didn't fall through whatever it is you know what i mean so it's i I don't know. For me, it's important. And I'm big on like relationships that helps me mm-hmm. in, on the court, you know, wherever I stand in your life, even if you hate me, like, all right, I know that. So then we will not talk when we leave this gym. Right. But yeah. that's fine. You hate me. All right, cool. But we have to have a working relationship. So let's figure this out. Let's figure out how to mm-hmm. communicate in this sector of our life or whatever mm-hmm. uh, yeah. are you the same way yeah I think um when I think back to like specific teams I've been really really vocal and like open and stuff with certain teams and then less with other teams and it totally I feel a difference in myself when I'm not as because I need that connection like yeah. when you're talking about it I'm um, someone that has a lot of conversations off the court, like maybe not even in the gym, just about stuff. And like, if I feel something's off, I like to know why, um, I've had teammates that like are so confused when I approach them with something like, Hey, I'm feeling like this is off. And they're like, you want me to talk to you about it? I'm like, yeah, let's <laughs> like have yeah. a conversation, figure it out, you know? Um, but for me, I think, especially as a setter, like when you have to be able to connect with so many different people and you're also touching the ball more than anyone. And a lot of people are looking to you to lead in a certain way. Like you have to feel comfortable in your relationship with your teammates to be able to do all those things. I think like to your, the best of your ability. So I think the more we, the, the more that I push that part, the better I think I am like playing wise because it's more like I know what I can expect from my teammates you know and also just know them better too like how do I bring out the best in my teammates like what what do they need from me I like that clarity like you know do they need me to be fired up do they need me to be calm because I can do both but there's a certain way that's more natural for me you know but if a teammate needs me to do something else if I don't ask and know then I can't help them be better so those conversations I think are good to have for sure i think what's interesting is something that we talk about on the podcast a lot is role clarity how important role clarity is on every team Mm -hmm. but nobody ever really clarifies the setter role you know what i mean so because every setter is so different and i think it's Mm -hmm. incredibly admirable when setters are total and complete assholes and they just, they don't give a shit about yeah. what any other teammates think. I'm like, uh-huh. man, I don't know how you do it. 
but kudos to you for just tuning everything out. Those are also, those guys are, their location's borderline perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like those exceptional people where they're like, I'm really good. So I don't have to listen to any of you guys. Yeah. You know, but for the rest of us, nobody ever, because there's this fine line, right? Of you have to maintain your identity but you also have to I, adapt to 14 other people's identity. Mm -hmm. So then that gets really tough when you're in, when you're in a hole, because you naturally want to kind of close in and shut down just for a moment mm -hmm. and just think about it and kind of reflect. And then everybody looks at you and says, what's, what's, are you okay? Is everything all right? Like mm -hmm. you seem pretty down. It's like, yeah, we're losing. Of course I'm down, you know, because <laughs> all it's all on me. Or you feel like it's not actually all on you. Yeah. As a setter, you're like, well, it's all on me. But then everybody expects you to be normal because that's your job. Right. You're just you're supposed to be the most idle human possible in every situation mm -hmm. known to man. Which is tough. It's, it's a way it's wary. It's, I mean, it's impossible to be like yeah. perfect all the time. But the Not interesting thing is, yeah, the interesting thing is, as you're saying that, you, it's funny when, when you're talking about it happening to you. I'm like, oh my gosh, how many times has that happened to me? Like, out, my face will change for a millisecond and someone's like, what's wrong? Like, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> like, can I have a moment? Like, I Mary just, and you I know, made a mistake or so many times really yeah because how come i can't make a mistake yeah it's like let me sit in my own shit for 10 seconds yeah i just missed a serve 15 meters out of bounds i'm not just gonna be ready to run the offense right away <laughs> i need a moment but the the thing is you like i guess the the longer you play the more that expectation grows for sure. Like with more experience, you're expected to like, just have it all together all the time. So I think that the, it's like, it's hard to say you should have a tool that gets you reset right away. But our like, um, uh, we have to have like the memory of a goldfish basically. You have to forget whatever just happened, no matter what basically, because there's so many things to think about in the next play. So, whether it was a great play and you freaking jacked, like use that energy to go into the next play, but you have to, what's happening now, you know? It's but always- do you, do you use that energy? That's always the golden question too. Because if you're too jacked, then especially when you're with young guys or young women, if you're too jacked, you're gonna blow it. <laughs> like you get, cause you have, I'm sure you've seen this. You get young middles, and they're fired up because they just bounced the ball and they got to go back to serve. Like, oh, calm down, calm down, calm down. And then they sail it. You're like, just, just put it in, man. You're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing, you know? And then the first thing they do is they go back there and they're so juiced. They serve 10 meters out the back. Like, oh, my God. Well, 
Uh, yeah, that's a specific player, though. That's good. No, no, no. I've, I've seen this countless times. People make that's a not great everyone, play. Though. People make a great play, and they're so jacked. It's like, okay, this was amazing. But then that same thing happens where it's like, okay, when does that play end? And when does the next one begin? When do we move on from this? How long does the celebration go? Because you see that on young teams all the time. It Every time they win a point, they just won the national championship. Yeah. So then when well, ideally, point, like, blah. <laughs> I mean, ideally, you're resetting and, and the new plays before the next play starts. Like, you're not carrying that over enthusiasm in the next play and letting it affect you. But I you want to like that feeling is still good to take with you sure. i think yeah yeah have you had so, those i mean there's a balance feel, have you had those feelings where you're as a setter like i'm going off right now i'm going off and then all it takes is one you know it's like all right i'm, I'm going off just put the ball in my hands uh-huh. and you will score and then you start giving everybody one-on-one and then people start hitting in the net and you're like, guys, I am feeling great. <laughs> Help me out. Here. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've like, I don't know if I've experienced it just like that. I think I've obviously I've had moments where like, I'm feeling great and things aren't going great around me, but I don't know. I think when I'm, when I'm, I guess when I'm feeling the way that you're talking about and I'm in that like flow, it's the team is in the flow. It's not just me, I guess. Like that's the, it's a, it's a really weird feeling. I'm sure I'm going to suspect hitters probably feel it more than we do, but that moment. Yeah. Where you're in flow and the team is not in flow is the weirdest feeling ever. Cause it's one of the few times that you can, genuinely say this isn't my fault today (laughs) what is going on I've actually I remember like feeling that once and my reaction was I needed everyone to feel what I was feeling so I was like I was a monster in the right way because it turned our team around but like the natural thing for me to do in that moment was like everyone needs to feel what I'm feeling so I'm gonna fucking put it into you right (laughs) like you feel me you see me and I know that it's so funny because so many teammates say like your your eye contact is so intense like it's it's intense as your friend (laughs) and but like in those moments that's what I'm doing I'm like boring your soul with mine like (laughs) you feel this because we're about to go to war let's go and I feel like that's I don't know that's like my way instead of because like you can feel that way and be like god damn my team's not feeling that way and but instead you just make them you have to yeah you you have have to figure out how to turn it around (laughs) you have to yeah yeah or else you're getting slept the thing the hard part is is yeah, you can only do that so often. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I started, I've been thinking about this frequently lately about how, not because it's my situation, but I've just been thinking about it. Certain people 
and they say it in the NBA, like you're looter in a riot. So there's certain guys that have 30 points a game, but they're on dog shit teams. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to have 30 points when you're taking all the shots. Right. Right. And I've always been hypercritical of setters on bad teams. I'm like, if you're the good, then you'll figure out how to win. Right. But at the same time, if you don't have any, if you don't have help, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, so I've just, I've been thinking about that lately and watching more setters on not great teams and figuring out like, is, are they good? Are they making all the right decisions? And it's just not, just never going their way. And then I thought, God, that must be exhausting. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, I've thought about that because in 2000, post Olympics in 2017, it was just Micah and Sander. And it was all young guys. And I remember thinking, Micah must be gassed because he's got to give it all every night and make all the right choices or they have no chance. Mm-hmm which is, that's the, that's when it gets tough. That's when, I mean, that's how you make really good setters. I think is you put them in really, you put them on really average teams. And then all of a sudden you see what they're made of. Yeah. Well, you, it's, it's true. I've, I've never really thought about this, but it's in those situations, you have to get creative and like, yeah ways that you're bringing out the best in your teammate, even if they're not like considered to be great or something. But in that space, it's like, can you just instill this mad confidence in what it's not just like, yeah. in everyone, but like, then it's more about, okay, our team isn't the best, but like, if we like are individually, we're not the best, but if as a team we can like make each other better, all the time like that's all we're doing good goodness can come from that but like it, it you have to have like a buy-in from everyone it's, right yeah well that and it's it's exhausting because one you have to play that way every day mm-hmm. so that the guys or the women believe that right. it's possible so if you have a bad day you better hope that your other 99 can back you up. You see what I'm saying? The, yeah. The thing is, is if you have a bad day, it's not good for anybody because right. you, you're the catalyst of confidence. Okay. But can, but then you're not perfect, right? We're not, no, we're not perfect. Sure not. So if you have a bad day, you hope can it not be have enough confidence that they can help you out. Well, not hope, but just can, can we be really vulnerable and say like, I had a really shitty day today, but I'm going to learn from it. Like, I'm going to let this go so that it's not something that it's carried forward into the next day. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Like how short term is your memory on this one? Yeah. No, I agree. I I'm thinking more of in match. If you're having a brutal day, Oh. then, then because it, it's so easy for your teammates to give up. So they're like, if he's not playing, we're screwed. And you see it with teams like a really good opposite or that opposite just drops 30 points a game, right? Yeah. Every game. And then all of a sudden 
it's not like they know show they're probably just tired or whatever mm -hmm. and they drop 20 and you lose it's like man i gotta drop 30 every night but well it's because yeah. it's not the 30 it's what the 30 resembles the 30 is it's the confidence that everybody gets from the 30 it's your presence versus the actual point you, you see what i'm saying yeah I see what you're you, saying. Have to, you have to do your job and you have to be present that's your value when you're on teams like that yeah when you're on really good teams and i've thought about this is talent can take over for fatigue mm -hmm. when you're tired and you're really good your talent can take over you can rely on that for a little bit. Not mm -hmm. always, obviously, but it can take over for a really good team. I'm sure you saw that at like Exhaust or Bocce when you guys are gassed and you have to go play like Petete. It's like, all mm -hmm. right, you know, like we're, we're not having our best day, but we're going to win this game. Our mm -hmm. talent is just going to win this game for us, right? But when you're on mediocre teams, you don't have that luxury. You have to be – your quality players have to be, you know, themselves and good. And then they yeah. also got to bring out the best and everybody else around them because you're an average team. That's what happens when you're right. on average teams. Yeah. Yeah, it's – but what, when, what happens when that, like, runs out? Yeah, that's that's – that's the, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. That's my I'm trying I because I'm curious both as a teacher and a learner how do you get around that? Mm -hmm. And I I mean because the Miami Heat did it they made it to a final and they had one superstar and everybody else was basically a role player. Mm -hmm. Like, how did that one guy get everybody to buy in so hard and then move forward? But I think it takes a village. Like, it's got to be not just the players, in my opinion. I think your coaching staff's got to buy in and your management also has to buy in. It's like, that's the guy or that those are the guys and they're going to take us to the promised land on an average team, which is really, really hard. Well, it's, it's hard, but it is doable. Yeah, it is. And I think it has to do with, if there's one person on the team that believes in the team and what the team's capable of, and they see it a very clear way, like their belief is it's unwaverable, even if they have bad days or whatever, and they can find a way, that person can find a way to, to like get the team to just believe what they do. Like every day, whether it with, with hard work, with like setting the right um, values within the culture, like it's, it's freaking possible. You're saying that Miami did it. I've, I've done it with teams before when I was like, I remember, but it's, at the same time, I don't think that that person has to feel pressure to be perfect all the time. 
what they have to do is create an environment like you're saying where everyone is bought into it and giving the the best that they can but knows that there's room for like there has to be room for failure or like growth or setbacks i think a big a huge component of this also is experience Mm -hmm. because if you have a team of young guys it's tough because they can waver in and out of that easily because they haven't dealt with frustration or sadness or fear right nearly as much as old guys have Whereas if you have a team of average 30-year-olds, they're going to be rock solid because mm-hmm. they don't, there's, they're not easily faced. They could give up an ace and they, I, I think they don't give a shit. It's like, all right, guys, we've seen this before. See it again. Right? So I think, I think experience is also a huge, it's a huge component of it as well. Yeah. That's well, if you what? No, no, go on. No, it's true. Experience, if you have experience, if you're 30 and you've played 20 years versus you're 18 and you have a year, you know? Yeah. It's way more um, likely that that person's able to just deal with a a bad day, you know, where like, where someone that doesn't have that mental strength or like the experience of going through some tough stuff, like they might crumble or think it's, or it's over. Cause we've had one bad day or, you know, I had one bad match. We've, um, I've always found it really admirable when guys come to me and some people see it as weakness, but they just tell me and like, don't give me the ball. It's not my day. <laughs> it's not my day. You know, and I'm like, all right, at least I know. Yeah. Instead of like trying, I remember talking to you about this when I was in check. I said, how do you deal with people that are just in the tank? Mm -hmm. And I said, I probably overset them because I want them to feel confident. But in the end, you end up probably end up losing more than you end up winning. Mm -hmm. And then you look like an idiot. It's like, I was just trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And you said, sometimes it's better to just let them cool off yeah you know and that's also a hard balance so you're like all right when i give you this ball <laughs> well i i've been the that i've erred on the side of like wanting to keep a player in way yeah. more often like i want to set that person again like keep them in keep their confidence up and i've had multiple coaches tell me like that's not your job to like keep a player in the match your yeah. job is to run the offense and my job is to pull that player if they're not performing well so like don't take the responsibility of keeping all of the attackers in the match you make the right choices set them a hittable ball and if they can't do their job then you leave that to the coach like there's that's why we have a coach that's why we have and I remember having that conversation so my solution was what I told you like give them some space to see if like, then when I set them later on, can they stay in it? And yeah, but it's, there's a fine line there. It's hard, but I think those setters that don't, like you were talking about early on that just don't give 
two shits about anything and they just play and they like those setters don't have that problem i i have that problem because i care a lot yeah but there's different types of personalities for different teams and they just make the right choice and they yeah they live with it like it was right and for sure i've had those moments where i've lost sets and thought it was the right choice Mm-hmm. like maybe to everybody watching it seems stupid but he's got nobody mm-hmm. it's it's the right volleyball play yeah you, you just have to buckle up and say i'm taking it to the grave <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Gosh, when I think, like, there's been times, though, oh, man, those are brutal. When you, like, you're, like, I didn't have any other choice, and it, like, you end up losing a match. And even if it was the best choice, it's, you still walk away feeling, like, I should have done something. I've done that before. I'm, like, I should have done something different. Should have just tried that other thing that didn't make any sense at all, but, like, should have just done it. Oh man. Yeah, those it, that yeah, it's it's a really it's a tough job. <laughs> yeah. It job. is, but it's fun. It's a fun job yeah. because I mean, you're just figuring out puzzles. Well, there's always there's always room for getting better. Like there's always room for improvement when oh. in this job. Oh yeah. That and uh, yeah, I yeah, I mean I agree with that. <laughs> there is, and it's it's oh, yeah. true. Well, everyone yeah. says that for a setter, especially like the older you get, it's because of experience. Because like you, it's a very mental position. Yeah. There's so many things to think about and to the way and um. So I just feel like that's why setters last longer than a lot of other positions because it's maybe not as physically, I don't know, taxing, you know, but I mean, it's because you can learn a lot the older you get. And the older you get, the more you see and you just pick up Mm -hmm. and you can just that and the amount of information you can retain. Yeah. Just keeps growing. Yeah. And I remember thinking now and when I was 23, like there's no way I could think of everything I think of right now at 23 and hold it mm-hmm. together. I would have just broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, what is this guy talking about? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, I, I, Maddie and I were talking about this. If you, if you think about yourself, if you think about yourself going back to Cal, for example, right now, well, not, I mean, mm-hmm. post baby, mm-hmm. right to go in and play, it would take you two days to figure everybody out. Yeah, <laughs> and then you would just destroy. <laughs> <laughs> Doing nothing, playing at 50%, just because you know everything. Mm-hmm. 
the coach, uh, you know, the coach would tell you the system. All right. I got it. I know how they block. I know how they defend. I know how, what we're supposed to do. And now I just cracked the matrix basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. I remember thinking that my senior year, I would, we would start scouting for other teams. And then, cause it's your fourth year, you know how it's a system. So you're like, Oh, well this team bunch reads. So we'll just crush them out of the middle of the court. Cause they're never going to yeah. commit a day. You know, I remember thinking that with BYU, it's like, just kill them out of the middle or whatever team, you know? Mm-hmm. No. The crazy thing when I think back to college, like we watched video and stuff, but I think the, um, just like technologically, how much more advanced everything is now, it's gotta be so much more in college now than it was even when we played there, you know? So yeah, I was at the very tail end when they started bringing in the TV monitors. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what the yeah. fuck are we doing here, guys? Mm-hmm. I thought it was like a normal I, thing. Yeah, every, you have to have it or you're yeah. like a dog crap program. Like, oh, you have no yeah. money or whatever and people look down on you. How do you like that, the video feedback? You're a big feedback person, right? Yeah, I like it. Are you audio or visual or both? Visual. visual. More visual. Yeah. I mean, audio, I, I, I'm good with audio too. I guess I've gotten better, but when I can see myself doing something right, it's way more beneficial for my like process. Like I can see myself doing it right. Or if I see, see myself doing it wrong, I like learn better that way than someone telling me. When you get reps, do you, because for me, I could set, I could miss every ball, but if it feels good, I don't care. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I know this is the touch. Tomorrow, they'll probably all go in. Today is just not the day because the hoop can either be, you know, it's your best friend or your worst enemy. Uh If it feels good with anything, even serving, I could serve a ball 15 feet out. I'm like, Toss was great. Everything was great. I'll probably yeah. make it the next one or whatever. Are you the same? Or is it because you're visual? Do you have to see the ball go in the hoop for it to feel good? I think I have to, I have to see the result good for me to feel like I've accomplished the goal. That is so <laughs> Yeah. Is that brutal? But it depends. It depends brutal. though, because it is brutal. But I think it it has also like what's the goal in that moment? Am I just trying to feel good right now or am I trying to make something happen? And normally if I'm getting reps, like if I'm working on my feet, for example, in reps, I'm not worried about where the ball's going. So like that's that's a disconnect. But if I'm working on my finish and like trying to get this ball and it's not I feel good, but it's not going there, I'm I'm, I don't feel good. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's me. Have you gotten better at removing results from the process? Were you like this when you were younger? Um, or were you pretty 
result oriented when you got reps or in anything? I think I've always been kind of result oriented. That must be, is it, can you separate from that in match or in game-like situations? Because when I think about it, obviously I'm going to suspect it's probably different, but when I think about it as being result oriented, then I would always think I have to have a perfect set and they have to get a kill. Which yeah. for me would be exhausting. It is exhausting, but that's, I mean, for me, most of the time, for a long time in my career, if I set a ball that doesn't feel good and the attacker gets a point, I'm still going saying, hey, I'll get you whatever it is that that person needed for it to be better. I'm not the kind of, sometimes now as I'm older, I'm like, hey, it's a point, like yeah. I'll get you better next time and I'm not so focused on the error as much as I was when I was younger but for sure like it I wanted everything to be good like and I but it's that was the expectation I had for myself if I can yeah. do it I will so I'm gonna hold myself to that standard all the time and sure it's gonna exhaust me but it's also gonna make me a lot better every day so like I would basically I was like my freaking own worst enemy but I I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. So, yeah. If somebody scores and they're one-on-one -on -one or none-on-one -on -one and they still score, but the ball's a ball too low, I'm like, uh, I'll, get, I'll get that ball higher. Yeah, same. And I don't know why I kill my – but interesting in a, a, like interestingly enough, if I'm in the zone, like if I'm in flow, that doesn't happen. What doesn't happen? I don't, I don't know. I don't think about that. I'm just like, I'm in oh, the yeah. zone. I'm just going, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I really feel like the times that I felt that like in the zone and everything is flowing is everything around me is too. It's not just me yeah. and like, I'm a separate entity. Everybody I feel like looks, everything they're making feels, everything look amazing yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why, like when you're in that space, the error that happens, like it's almost like it was meant to happen that way because it's working. Like everything's working. Everyone's connected. They're like, your teammates are there literally to better the ball for you. Like in flow, that's what happens, you know? Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. But if you're not there, if you're like super analytical and in your head and just struggling, then it's like, yeah. <sighs> my, there's all this other like it's resistance all the time. When you're in a tough spot or when you were in a tough spot and it's just not your day, how do you get out of it? Because um, I've asked well, a couple of people and they say, oh, I simplify it. And mm -hmm. I, I can't do that. I for think me, for me to break it, then I have to do the most wild play possible like i'm bump i'm bumping a gap in i'm doing something i'm chucking a ball a long way to wake me up like to get out of it you know what i mean mm -hmm. so I, yeah i don't know but yeah for me 
I think it's very, um, I want to say specific, like I remember, I know if it's usually a ball that doesn't feel good. And then I'm so fixated on that ball that I, it's affecting everything else. It's not like everything's off and I'm like, but I, I'll fixate on a, something that I continue to do wrong and then it will end up affecting me. So what I do is I like, I have to verbalize it, like go to my, basically like if it's the gap and like, I can't do it, but we're supposed to be running it. Like there are times that I've just said like, Hey, I can't, like, I don't feel good doing this. Help me out. Like, I'm, I'm going to try again, but like, I need you to be ready so that it's, it's like, obviously things aren't going well, but if I verbalize it, we connect on it and my attacker is ready to help me, then we can get through it and it won't affect the rest of my game. I don't know if that's like, that's probably not always, but that's definitely a specific scenario that I, I've used before that works to get me into a better space. For sure. I know for me, I have no problem abandoning the plan. <laughs> zero I'm like we're down o2 new plan scratch <laughs> everything we thought was gonna work tonight it's not we thought we were gonna run gap all night nope we're just gonna go one and back one we're just gonna mm -hmm. abandon everything and i don't know why that's uh in my mind, I've always just thought whatever you have to do to win, whether that means like one guy gets one ball, this is just the way I think. I know other most people probably, I don't know, don't think like this, but if that means one guy is going to get set for an entire match, but it's going to win you the match, then we're all riding that pony. And if it means everybody's going to get 10 balls, everybody's going to get 10. If it means we have to do this, we have to do this. But that freaks people out. Ooh. That thought scares people of like... Who is it? Who, but who would get freaked out by that? Because it's, it's, I, I think it's intimidating to think it's, it's, in, it's intimidating to think we have to try something completely new that we haven't done in a game. But that's why I like, that's why, but for me, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> another, yeah. another trial. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's make it work. Yeah. I think yeah. that's good. Yeah. But I think it's, yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, it scares some people to think, from my experience, like everything we practiced didn't work. Like, yeah, well, that's why we're pros. Or even in college, it's like, well, that's why we we play volleyball. Like, we, who cares if it didn't work or what? Like, your jump spin's not serving or working, and everybody's jump spin isn't working. We're all going to float serves, stuff like that. I'm like, screw it. Yeah. Everybody put the ball in. Let's see what they're made of. I mean, I've never seen like that kind of stuff happen, but that happened to me in I, the playoff series. 
the best server in the league float served. The whole team float served. They would miss maybe two, three serves a match, and they beat us. They were like, we're going to make you beat. We're, we're going to make you beat us tonight, every single night. It was, it's actually smart. It's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, it's actually brilliant. Well, it is. Like, I mean, it's, you have to, you have it, to try it out at a, a more than higher clip than you're used to. Burnside out at a higher clip than you're used to because there's not that many errors anymore. Yeah, I think it's I, brilliant. I commended them. I was like, bravo, guys. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that is adaptation at its finest. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think like that you, your game plan can be a game plan, but when you get out there, anything can happen so any type of adaptation is adaptation is necessary i think like oh man the amount of times i've fought marv in film about that i'm like marv because he he'll look at me and uh, um, he's like you don't agree nope he's like well it's my team so we're gonna do it this way <laughs> right and then we get into the game and it's not working and then it, we, you know, we call a timeout and I go, so are we going to switch or what? It's like, all right, you know, let's change it up. We'll see what happens, whatever, you know, but a, a lot of people, cause, and it could be a total ego thing also. They don't like the idea of getting rid of the plan because, you know, you've put so much time and effort into the plan or whatever. So then it has to work. Yeah, Which, I think you know, there are people like that. Yeah, you know. but the I think the ideal is to be open to it. And you kind of have to have, it's like having a backup plan. Like you can't expect everything to go the way that you plan it, so. No, especially when other teams are allowed to adapt to you. Yeah, exactly. They're scouting the same way you are, so. Yeah, I think that's my favorite line is other other teams are allowed to play good. <laughs> yeah. I love saying that when you're winning, when you've won a couple sets or whatever, and another the team start the other team starts turning around. It's like, like oh, and frustration ensues. It's like they're allowed to play good. We've been playing good too, you know. Like they, yeah. They can respond. That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's just what are we gonna do? Yeah. How do we adapt? Where did you hear that? Like, I have no idea. Someone, you just, yeah, that's a good, I mean, it's a, that's a great mentality. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like it. It's fun. Yeah. Adapting's fun. But I'm also, how do you, I mean, when you go into games, you have your plan and... Are you going out just attacking full force or do you kind of let the game come to you and then evolve with the game? I think I, I get information before, so I know, have an idea of what they typically would do. So I have like an idea of how I'll start a match. Um, but I'm definitely a feeler. 
of the game. So I'm constantly like wondering if they're changing, can I change? Should we try something different? Um, I like that better. Like having the freedom to change within a match is, I think it's really important, especially for a setter. So that gets, I've felt in my experience, sometimes when you're so open to the change though, that could hurt you because when one thing's working, you're kind of like, oh, you know, but like that's working, but maybe this could also work. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't, obviously. You're like, oh, shit, should have just stuck to the one thing. Because <laughs> sometimes it gets, on, and honestly, sometimes it just gets boring. Like, Jesus, we're just going to keep doing the same. Like, this team can't figure it out. We're just going to do the same thing over and over again, and we're just going to keep killing them, doing it. Like, they got it. They have to figure it out. They got to figure it out. That's always – I always think that way. Like, they have to. (laughs) They have to figure it out. And then, obviously, they don't. Like, all right, we're just going to keep killing you the same way then. Yeah. Right. It's not boring. That's like, I don't know. Pretty, I mean, I don't know. It's tough if a team doesn't figure something out after a bunch of times, but it's rough. It's like that's happened to, to us, before, like to me before on teams where we just cannot make an adjustment and like just keep getting killed by the same ball over and over again. The worst is when you make the adjustment and they're too hot. Yeah, nothing can stop them. And you're like, oh, man, we made it too late. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. The podcast isn't supposed to start this way. We just kind of went into it. Okay. Usually, well, no, it's great. <laughs> but usually we, I start with, how did... How did you get into volleyball? Okay. And then you tell us how, how, how. How did I get into volleyball? Yeah. Um, my family. So my mom was a PE teacher and a middle school volleyball coach. And my brother and sister are both older than me, so they went through her school before I did. So they played volleyball for her, and they were my mom was their PE teacher. And so, like, I would go to the school after I was done at the elementary school, and I would watch them like practice, and like I'd have to be there because there's nowhere else for me to go. And that was really cool. So I asked my uncle. My uncle started coaching and helping my mom up there and asked uncle if he would start teaching me some stuff so he before I went into sixth grade where I could try out for the team he put me in their driveway with a ball and started teaching me like some of the stuff like how to pass and what setting was and so we learned in my driveway and then I tried out for the sixth grade team when I was 10 or whatever 10 or 11 and I loved it it was my new favorite sport and still is the rest is history. 
who was it when this cast lickman came on and she there's some ridiculous ages people started playing volleyball at yeah i think lauren carlini said she started at like six mm-hmm. she tried out for spry at eight or something it was so absurd i was like what are we doing out here my gosh when did you start playing club um 14 that's so that's crazy to say it's so late for the women to start at 14 yeah 14 yeah because i i get wait maybe yeah i was an eighth ninth going into my freshman year the 14 going on 15 yeah did you have like did you have aspirations at that point to play college or were you just in it um i think my aspirations for college started around like when i was a freshman in high school like when I was in eighth grade, all I could think about was like, oh my gosh, I want to go to high school and I want to be on the varsity team when I'm a freshman and I want to try to play. <laughs> and then like I went to, I like went to high school, I made the varsity team as a freshman. And then I was like, oh, now I can like, oh, I want to go to college. I want to, I want to get a scholarship and play like division one volleyball. And a huge part of it, I was like, oh, that means my parents won't have to pay for me to go to school. So I'll be helping them. And like, I had this whole like, visual of what that looked like so my dream for college started a little later wow did it start uh, I mean that's cool that's really admirable that one of your biggest goals was that your parents don't have to pay mm-hmm. did you did you think you were going to reach Cal In high school, I started to, like, later, like, my sophomore year, I went and started playing for one of the best um, clubs in our region and, like, one of the best coaches. It was, at the time, it was epic. Um, and But our coach, Ojan Barambegi, he was, he was the, he actually, like, kind of recruited me. I came to a game, told my uncle, like, come try out for the club. Um, But he had this whole vision of like, if you, he told me, if you want to be a like high level player, you should probably be a setter, not an attacking setter. Cause at the time I was only running six twos. I wanted to be an attacker. I was setting, but I was always attacking. And he told me that I needed to run a five one. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was so against it. I was like, I'm not doing that. I want to be an attacker. Like I, anyway, long story short, I ended up at, at my sophomore year, I went and played for his club at an 18s team and ran a five one. So I did that for my sophomore, junior, senior year. And like during that time started getting like letters and stuff like that, like uh, interests. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I guess to answer your question, yeah, I did think I could go play somewhere good because I was playing at a really great club and we were having success and I was getting interest from places. So I think I committed to Cal my junior year. Who was it between? 
I had visited UCLA. I had was talking to Nebraska. Um, I'd gone on some. I'd gone on a, unofficial to Washington. I had visited a couple smaller schools too, but I think what went to Cal. I was like, this is it. This is where I want to be. Felt so right. It was, it was pretty cool. That's amazing. That's a nice feeling. Yeah. Did you? That's so sick. This is it. Well, it wasn't so much like, it wasn't just the volleyball, it was the whole thing, like my yeah. whole feeling when I showed up there. That's fair. I, I remember coaching. I visited Pep and I loved Marv and the staff. But I was not into Pep. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, this place is overrated. I don't get it. I don't see mm -hmm. what everybody else has seen, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then I went to school there. I get it. <laughs> I've still never been to that campus. You're missing out. Everybody says it's yeah. beautiful. The buildings are lackluster, to say the least. Really? But the view is for real. Wow. Yeah, the view is it's like PV. Oh, yeah. I'm serious. No, yeah, I guess that's, yeah. <laughs> you're that's... sitting, you're just sitting on a bluff oh. looking at the ocean. Crazy. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. But um God, what a time to be alive. Anyways, sorry. Um you were gnarly at Cal. I remember watching you when I was in high school. I was like this chick's really aggressive. <laughs> Yeah, I've, yeah, I had like a weird. Um... You were living the setter's dream though. Because, what? well, you were hitting, like they were setting you. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. I remember, I blatantly remember watching you. And I mean. Your libero was setting you balls. Sometimes, like if we're out of system and yeah, like, I mean, you're hitting. And if you weren't, but it hitting, wasn't like something. I I was really aggressive, like offensively for sure. But I didn't get set a lot. I just got set like sometimes. I was like, I'm gonna be ready if I'm if I'm not setting. Like you can set me, but it wasn't like a part of our offense. It felt like a part of your offense, like moving, <laughs> moving into the final four. Like she gets set a pretty fair amount for being a, a setter. Yeah, I loved hitting. I loved being an attacker. I still like have dreams of like playing one season as an attacker overseas, just like on a lower team and just trying it, see what it feels like, knowing how hard it is to be a setter on a team, just like, how can I, I don't know. I think it'd be fun to be an attacker. For sure. Being outside. 
yeah i'm sure physically it would be incredibly demanding but mentally you'd be like this is a dream yeah you guys are hanging out yeah oh man that'd be fun how were you shocked when you got player of the year yeah Who was it between? Was you? I mean, Alex had been the best player that season. Like Alex Kleinman, she was Stanford. Um, like she, I think everyone thought she was going to get it. She ha- she got um, what's the other title, ABCA player of the or no? Nope, you got that. <laughs> yeah, whoops. <laughs> There's another one like uh, that a magazine chooses, I think. Volleyball and magazine was, player of the year. I don't know, something. Okay, anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I I wasn't prepared. I remember our like media guy having a meeting with Tara Murray and I was like, you guys are both like first team all Americans, so you're up for NCAA player of the year. So you have to have like if you do get the player of the year make sure that you I don't think she said like make sure that you mention like our athletic director and the program and like thank you know the staff or whatever and I was like yeah okay and so I remember like they're naming the the like accolades of player of the year before they say the name I was staying next to Cass Lickman at the table because she was a first team all-american too and they're like setter and they start going through things she's she looks at me, she's like you know it's you right and I was like oh my god I was like so not ready I'm like are you kidding me I'm already crying like <laughs> no way this is gonna and so I go up there and I remember the first thing I said was what Jeremy Wu had told me you have to mention these people so I was like I just want to thank and I like remember saying <laughs> and I was like so overwhelmed and then I just was bawling like talking about my uncle because he was there yeah. But no, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't common for setters to get player of the year. And I, I wasn't ready for that. Like prepared for that moment. Because they didn't tell me. They, yeah. they like try to play it off. Like, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. I've looked for that video. I can't find it. I think it'd be so funny to watch. 10 years later myself like just fumble through this speech so funny did you and then they i don't i'm guessing it was the same they give it to you before the final four starts right no it's the or is it after the semis after the semis i think that's stupid why (laughs) You're going to give somebody that big of an award do it way before the tournament starts or after yeah because you're just setting them up to fail <laughs> the next night because they have not a, i mean you're like 22 21 like get the biggest award you've ever received in your life and then you have the biggest game of your life. It's like, all right, well, now I got to live yeah, up to this. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think it, 
looking back, like it would have been cool to have it at the end of the tournament. Like, but they do, I think they did the awards banquet the night before for some reason for the finals. What a, oh man, how was it painful to, to not bring it all home? Oh yeah, it was brutal. We lost to Penn State every single year in the tournament. Like my, every year, freshman year in the final four, sophomore, <laughs> junior year in the lead eight, senior year in the finals. Every year we lost to them. And they were the champion every year of my four years in college. They had like went on their whatever streak winning titles. In a row or whatever. So I was so over them by my senior year. I was like, you guys have got to be kidding me. <laughs> you have knocked us out every year. At so... least they won it. I think it's worse yeah. to get knocked out by a team and then they get knocked out the next round. You're like, come on. We're going to yeah. knock this out then go in and win the whole thing. That's true. Had you known you were going to go play pro after that? I was – I was uh, my senior year starting to understand that that was an option. So I didn't know yet because I had no contacts or anything, but um, an agent approached my uncle at the final four. My okay. mom and uncle, and, yeah. And then I ended up signing with him, a club with him in Italy that next season. Who was your first club? Was it Busso? Busto, yeah. Dave Hunt told me this could either be true or false. Dave Hunt told me that I think it was your time at Busto. Your trainer, your weightlifting coach was so impressed with how strong you were that he would just say, Carly, one more, and just put more weight on just to see how much you could take. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up destroying you physically, but he was in true story. It's true. True story. What a dick. My, both of my shins fractured that season. But we don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know if it was that. Of course it was it that. Was, <laughs> I mean, it was a mixture of stuff. I hadn't had a break in, I don't know, 10 years or something. It's like going crazy, training, wearing different shoes and all kinds of stuff. So, but yeah, he was, he was a rugby strength coach before volleyball. Okay. So he was like, you can do this. Like, let's try more. Let's try more. And I'm like squatting down to 90 degrees, like a normal squat. And all the Italian girls, like they go 45. They're like, yeah. I'm like doing a full squat. And he's like, more, one more. I'm like, oh my God, I could do more, but like, I don't need to. I'm not a bodybuilder. I remember putting on like, I don't know how much, like, muscle mass that season it was crazy but but anyway was it your first year did you guys win Scudetto yeah sick do you guys win everything yeah you won cup the trifecta yeah uh that and sev cup yeah not a bad way to start off, bro. And you broke your shins. Yeah. Hmm. Pretty uh, eventful. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, not the shin breaking part, but to win 
to wait for it. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we were that team that like wasn't supposed to do anything spectacular. Yeah. And then we ended up doing something that hadn't been done. It was like, yeah, an amazing way to start. Like my professional season so first yeah. season. Who was bad. who was the coach of that team? Carlo Parisi. Is he the best coach you've played for? He's one of my two favorites. Him and Massimo Barbellini are my two favorite coaches I've played for. What makes them stand out? Um different two different things for them. Like Carlo, what I loved about him was he was kind of pretty hard on us like one of those coaches that he's gonna yell and he's gonna scare you a little bit to get you to understand what he wants you to understand like he's really technical and like breaks things down and I love his the way he runs practice like just all of his drills he's just like a he gets the game and he freaking studies the game like he He's his videos are super thorough, all that. But like, for me, he was a great leader because he would hold me accountable and be a little hard on me, but also give me the freedom to like run an offense. He was he didn't have rules that I had to follow, and but he would was always there to like help me figure stuff out. Yeah. Um, and then Massimo, he's so different, so chill. Like, literally, was all about just like play, go play, trust yourself, go play um again knew the game really well but um just had a really easy way of like leading a team at least the teams that the team I played for with him like it was he was the perfect fit for our team because we're a little we're pretty experienced team but um so he could kind of give us the reins a little more. Like he wasn't really controlling with stuff, um, but he made it like really fun for us. Um, well, yeah, he was, that's, he's the coach I won Champions League with. And Palmy? Yeah. What was different about that team versus your Busto team? Is it just talent? We had way more experience that Palmy team. We were older, a much older group. Um, my Busto team, we were really young. It's like, I think our oldest player was probably 24, maybe oh, at the wow. time. It's really young. Yeah, we were a really young team. Um, Actually, we had one older player. I remember Kiana Delora. She was a middle blocker, but everyone else was young. We were all under 25, I think. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. The difference, maybe just experience everything else. I mean, we had a lot of foreigners on both teams. Both had Italian coaches. Um, I don't know, they were both such a selfless group of girls on both teams, like really good at training hard and like working for each other no drama ever which was like amazing yeah and if there was like I had a teammate that I would struggle with sometimes like we would that she's the one that I would text like 
okay, if you're not going to get it on the court, can we figure this out? Like, yeah. it was just like, we were constantly trying to make it better. So, yeah. That's awesome. 2015 was your year. <laughs> that was a good year. That's a great year. That's a great year. Cause you went, went to Toronto together that year, right? Mm -hmm. 2015, you guys won Pan Am games. You got MVP, and that pushed you over the edge. And then all of a sudden, you were in consideration to go to an Olympics. Well, I was actually cut after that tournament from the team. Really? Yeah. They cut me. Uh, I was the last cut. They said that, and they actually told me there's probably you know, you're the fourth. So we're probably going to have three in the gym next year, next summer. Like, we're not saying it's impossible, but it's not looking good. When I left the gym, I didn't, didn't think I was going back in there. Well, so I, when I went to play that, that season, I, uh, I didn't hear from them until April after Champions League. Nice. I got a call from, from them saying, you have a tryout in May when you get back. What does tryout consist of? Being in the gym again. I mean, I was able to come to the gym and train for two weeks, and they were going to tell me if I was going to, if I was cut or if I could stay. And then I, I made that tryout, and it extended for a month. Okay, we're going to keep you here one more month. We'll see how, how it goes. And then I made the Grand Prix roster, and then I traveled that next month, and then came back, and in June, June 30th, I was told I was going to the Olympics. That is incredible. Yeah. Oh my, did you break, I'm gonna suspect you broke down crying. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like, that was like the 180, like no one expected. It was, yeah, you're, from what I'm gathering from your career, that happens often. Yeah. We expected this, then it happened. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. amazing did you when you made it what was that conversation like because they took three of you mm -hmm. did they tell you like hey xyz is going to alicia and courtney are coming along as well and this is your role yeah they told me like what their plan was with it I mean, it would be hard. I remember talking, We I talked to Courtney Thompson about this and she goes, yeah, I was pissed. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard for sure to be like, what? Three? When the hell do we ever take three? Mm -hmm. And then she was like, I mean, she's good. So I get it. Like, I understand why she's going to, you want her. But did you have a similar reaction or were you just fired up to go? No, I actually was worried. Cause I knew if I was going what that meant for Courtney. So I asked immediately, what's your plan with her in my meeting? And they told me their plan was to bring her as a, like a serving sub DS type of situation. And I was relieved to be honest. Cause I knew what she did for that team 
from a leadership standpoint and she's a great setter and like I knew what kind of year I was having and the things that I was doing that were helping the team but I was Courtney was like one of my closest friends so um I like wanted to be sure that I was I was concerned about her want to make sure she'd be okay and it ended up they were taking her anyways they just were taking her in a different role so I was actually pretty fired up to be honest not angry at all yeah that's fair yeah I have to eat I'm starving I'm dying okay. no 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 it's okay I think we're good here <laughs> <laughs> go eat enjoy your life I, yeah my this baby is like starting to move around and I know that either activity either means we're hungry or I'm trying to rest and the baby wants to stay up right now I'm starving I'm eat. Oh, good. all right dude thank you for taking the time to come on and yeah yeah it was fun I appreciate it you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> all right all right um, well Good luck down the stretch. Thank you. I appreciate it. We will, uh, we'll need it. We'll need it. I don't even know what's going on with your team, I guess, that much, but um, a lot of teams need it. So.